Stories Behind the White Coat. This is Grayscale. I'm Ben Davis. Welcome to Season 2 of Grayscale. A lot has happened since Season 1. We are recently featured on the AFP podcast. Big thank you to Steve Brown and all the folks over there. We'll have the link to that episode in the description box below. And fitting with tradition of Season 1, I'll go ahead and tell my own story today. Unfortunately, I don't have a colleague with me. So, Bobblehead Dwight Schrute is going to help me out today. He's nodding in agreement. And finally, a big thank you to everybody who's listened and shared Grayscale with others. The recent rise in popularity has been pretty amazing. (laughs) Thanks. In the last year, I had two stories that I had in my head that I wanted to do for Season 2 of Grayscale. Between these two stories, there is one story that's hands down the better story for radio and podcasting. <laughs> it's has cultural nuances, it has twists and turns, and it has this really satisfying ending. But I'm not going to tell that story today. Maybe I'll save it for season three now that I hyped it up so much. <laughs> uh, instead, I'm going to tell the latter of the two stories. I only made up my mind to do this story a couple of days ago. Um, cause I couldn't sleep. I woke up in the middle of the night and I thought about this story and this happened several times in the past year, maybe, I don't know, four or five times where I've woken up, didn't even think about this story during the day, but woke up and it was the first thing I thought about. And to me, that meant something that meant that this was still bothering me enough that I should probably talk about it some more. Before I get into the story further, uh, I think it's good to get a little bit of a backstory. In residency, my continuity clinic site was a public health clinic in Seattle. And because it's a safety net clinic, we would see lots of addiction, mental illness, large homeless population, or at-risk for housing. And with that would come a lot of frustration. And I would feel that frustration. Over the course of those three years, I had my fair share of times where patients would be upset and storm out of a room or say really hurtful and insensitive remarks. But none of those times ever really bothered me too much. So you would think as an attending that I would have built up either enough insight or an emotional callus that those kind of difficult experiences wouldn't penetrate my emotional well-being deeper than it had in residency. But that's where I was wrong. (laughs) And that's why we have a story. Uh, I think the second piece of backstory that's important is that I'm a pretty young faculty member at my residency. I'm just starting my third year, and I joined right after residency, so I'm a bit on the younger side. Of course, we're just talking about appearance and not clinical acumen at all. (laughs) Now, fast forward back to this past year. It was just a regular clinic day for me. In the afternoon, I was seeing patients. Nothing in particular was bothering me. But I was running a little bit late. I was seeing a patient in particular that had a number of problems for the day. And I didn't do a fantastic job of agenda setting and had my fair share of door handle questions. So I was pretty far behind. And I'm 
rarely behind. I'm a pretty efficient person in clinic, but that wasn't today. I was wrapping up with this patient in particular when um, one of the nurses I was working with for that day knocked on the door and asked me to step out because they had to tell me something. And it turns out that my next patient was pretty upset and was threatening to leave. So I had to step out of the room and handle that immediately. I ended up catching this particular patient in the hallway. To give you some background on this patient, he's a patient that I saw a number of times in clinic. I'm his PCP, and he's older and of Asian descent. And we've had good visits prior to this. So all of this was a little bit of a surprise to me. But regardless, uh, I went out into the hallway and I caught him and we proceeded to have about a 20-minute confrontation in the middle of the hallway. (laughs) He was obviously very upset that we were running late and I was about 40 minutes late at this point. I was very apologetic, said, it's completely my fault that I'm running late, but I'm still happy to see you and I'm going to take just as long addressing your problems for the visit as I did for the previous patient. But uh, that wasn't good enough. (laughs) He proceeded to give me about a 15-minute lecture on respect and running on time. And the reasons he was particularly upset is he found it to be an act of disrespect that I was running late. Of course, I tried to explain myself as well and the history of me never being late for any of our appointments before, but um, he was still pretty upset and wasn't really listening to anything that I had to say. Some of the other things he said during this time was he wanted the name of my supervisor, which I happily gave him. If I'm being honest, I kind of was hoping that he would talk to our clinic supervisor because pretty much any other physician or patient would let you know that the doctor's office can run late sometimes. Uh, It's not an unusual occurrence for this to, to happen. So I gave him her business card as well. And the last thing he said, which probably bothered me the most, is he was really condescending about me being young. You're young. You don't understand any of the things that I'm saying. You're just a new doctor right now. If you were older, you would understand what I'm saying. You have so much of a career left. It'd be a shame for you to go throughout your career without learning these lessons. And no matter what I would say, he just he would keep going. And I'm, I'm pretty good at keeping my cool. And I kept my cool throughout all of this. And I was very remorseful. And again, I kept offering. We could go back into a room and discuss this. And I'm happy to still see him for his visit. And of course, at this point, we're running about an hour late since we, we burned about 20 minutes in the hallway. And I still had that other patient that I had to leave the room who was waiting for me as well. And towards the end of our time in the hallway, I offered him to see another provider. Not not today, but to make an appointment for a different provider to be his PCP because this instance obviously um, dealt a great blow to our therapeutic alliance. And he was really upset at that as well. He kind of turned that against me and saying how I'm not willing to make up for what I did, even though I said I was happy to see him right now. And it just felt like a losing cause all the way. It didn't matter what I said or how pleasant I was or remorseful that we were running late. It just didn't matter. 
Eventually, um, I convinced him to go back into a patient room and I wrapped up very briefly with the patient I was seeing before and we had our visit. Our visit then lasted about 40 minutes after that, which it was originally slotted for a 20-minute visit. And the reason why he came was because his health insurance told him it's time for a checkup and said to check his blood pressure. So we talked about that for about 40 minutes, which which was obviously me trying to make up for this experience that he had. Because if it was a regular day and any other patient, that visit would have lasted 15, 20 minutes. At the end of the visit, he gave me the clinic supervisor's card back that I gave him and said that he wasn't going to say anything. Which really felt like a slap in the face. I'm trying, to, <laughs> I'm trying to save the emotional response for the end, but really it was just like a slap in the face at the end that he wasn't going to report me to my supervisor or file a complaint. At this point, I'm running about an hour behind and it's late in the afternoon. And I think one of the things that really struck me from this particular day in clinic was that the next patient, another patient of mine that I knew well, and I see their whole family, I was about an hour late for this patient and I felt so bad. (laughs) And he was incredibly understanding and thoughtful and very pleasant and put everything back into perspective for me. I was not in a great spot emotionally at this point and being able to talk to him about what's going on in his life was very gratifying. So this obviously had an effect on me. If it didn't, I wouldn't be talking about it right now, but I had a chance to think a little bit at the end of the day why this bothered me so much compared to all the other episodes that I had in clinic prior in residency where people would be upset. And I think the thing that bothered me the most was that when I would see other patients upset, I could always see addiction or social disarray or mental illness behind those frustrations of why they were saying what they were saying to me. But I didn't see that in this instance. All I really saw was privilege. Full disclosure, I'm half Korean and half Caucasian. And I grew up in a community of both Korean people and white people. And growing up in the Korean community, I would see the older Korean men abuse their power differential quite often. And I hated it. Nothing pisses me off more than uh, somebody abusing their power. And because of this, I grew up being explicitly biased towards older Asian men. because. Because they just behaved like this patient. And for me, this kind of just brought it all back. All of those biases, all of that anger and frustration that eventually I was able to work out and get away from. It all just came flooding back to me. As I mentioned before, I've woken up in the middle of the night several times since this happened, reflecting on it and Reflecting is probably a euphemism. It's more waking up in anger. And the reason why on the surface I don't think this is that great of a story is because it's pretty cut and dry. It's somebody says something mean to you and you're angry about it. 
but I'm still angry about it. And it's not just frustration. It's kind of this black, dark anger that doesn't go away easily with time. And I guess the other thing I think about is the next time that I see this patient, if I see this patient again, maybe you'll find another PCP. But when I see this patient again, how am I going to feel? Am I going to be able to provide good care? Or am I just going to be angry the entire time? When I offered uh, this patient to see another PCP, I, was, I wasn't being facetious. I really meant it that I thought our therapeutic relationship was too far gone at that point. Too far gone to repair. And that's the story. <laughs> I guess if I was doing my due diligence, I would ask the same question that I normally ask faculty that tell their story, which is if I had advice for a resident or somebody who's early on in training who experienced a similar thing, what would I tell them? I thought about this for a while, and I don't have any great words of wisdom because. Maybe time will help. Maybe the anger will fade with time, as most anger does. But I don't think anything fundamentally changes the characteristic of my anger and frustration. I think the thing that I would say is to focus on the visit that came after the, the really fulfilling, meaningful, and productive visit afterwards. I think another thing that really frustrates me is this kind of highlights a burden that doesn't necessarily affect me as much as a faculty physician in academics, but affects community providers much more, which is we're often beholden to different patient satisfaction metrics. And within those is often patient feedback or patient reviews, whether it's online or anonymous through the clinic. And a lot of the time, providers practice defensive medicine because of this, which is one of the many reasons why we have an opioid epidemic, why patients are addicted to benzodiazepines, why we order unnecessary imaging, why your well-woman or well-man visit entails a number of labs that you'll never really need. And the way that reimbursement works now we're seeing patients every 10, 15, 20 minutes, and sometimes that's not enough. A lot of the time, it's not enough. When I think back and try to evaluate everything that happened, would I do anything differently? I think the only thing I would do differently, which I normally do anyways, is to pay attention to the clock a little bit more because I would have seen that I was running late and had the nurse give the patient a heads up that I was running late and probably do a better job agenda setting for that prior visit. This past week, we had our fall curriculum retreat for the residency. And one of the big focuses was on wellness. So we had a wellness workshop. And a component of that was to do poll everywhere, where we would get real-time responses to some of the questions. And one of the questions was, what's the biggest barrier to your wellness? And it became a running joke because as the anonymous results were coming in, every single one said time. 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 Capitalized time. 
more time. But it's the truth. We all just need a little bit more time. Grayscale is produced by Ben Davis. A big thank you to Bobblehead Dwight Schrute for joining me today. If you're interested in sharing your own story with us, feel free to email us at thegrayscalepodcast at gmail.com. And as always, a big thank you to our patients who continue to enrich our lives through shared experiences. Unfortunately, I don't have a colleague with me, so Dwight had... (laughs) 